The Art Dealer Diaries are brought to you by Medicine Man Gallery, located for over 26 years in Tucson, Arizona, specializing in antique Native American art, early Western art, including the famed Maynard Dixon, as well as modern art. You can find everything online at medicinemangallery.com. There's over 6,000 objects to select from. Also, the Charles Bloom Murder Mystery Series, written by yours truly, me, Mark Sublett. There's six books in this series, and they follow the protagonist Charles Bloom through all the intrigue of the art world set in Santa Fe and the Navajo Nation. These can be found on Audible, eBooks, Amazon, and of course, the gallery at medicinemangallery.com. I had Bob Bose Bell on today. I know that's a mouthful. I had, had to work on that one, quite frankly. Um, he's an incredibly interesting, complex human being. He is the executive editor of True West Magazine, which he has been a fan of since he was like nine years old. Uh, he's a gifted artist, a friend of Ed Mel, uh, entrepreneurial you know, you, you wouldn't think that a guy who is about Old West magazines and, and runs one is also the guy who was part of the uh, hippie culture in the 60s and uh, wrote for those kind of magazines as well. So he's a complex individual with a lot to say. And this is one if you are interested in the West, you're interested in how we see it and the magazines that really fill that niche you will not want to miss so bob bose bell yes that is the most unusual name it's taken me years to get that name straight to get it right it is is, yeah. is it just me or oh no 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 i've been interviewed many times um and people have uh the producers give them my name and they'll be on the air and it'll be live it'll be a uh -huh. live shot and they'll go and we're sitting here and we're talking to the executive editor of uh, true west magazine that's mr bob bluebill and then all this go <laughs> Because they don't know. Because it it shouldn't be a trip up, but it is. And I get that. Yeah. I thought the Bose Bell was like one name. Bose yeah. Bell. For yeah. a long time, I thought it's Bob so did Bose Uni Bell. So did United Airlines when I just flew to Deadwood. They, they were, oh. I, I couldn't get into my account, and they said, uh, I thought it was Bell, and they, they had it as Bose Bell. So and, you're not alone. And has, has it always been that way? I mean, were you when you were a kid, did you go? With that, with the, no, with no, no, no. It's a, uh, a nickname. I was uh, okay. See, I my know. real name's Robert Allen Bell. Okay. And uh, when I was in high school, I played baseball, and uh, our arch rivals came to Kingman. Needles. We hated needles. Yeah, I bet. And Who uh, doesn't? <laughs> sorry for my three listeners in needles. Uh, and so uh, I was the leadoff hitter, and they were razzing us and talking about how weak we were and stuff like that. And so I hit a line drive over the second baseman's head, and, and I went down to first base, saw I could make it to second, and ran backwards. And just to taunt them, you know, just as a oh, kind of— Oh, wow. Kind of a, that was know, big time. Of, and so my the, all my teammates are going, Bozo, Bozo, Bozo. And so <laughs> they, they started calling me Bozo, and then they shortened it to Bozo, and here we are. And then, do, so do you, do you have to use your real name on when you're flying, or do you— I use my real name when I'm flying. There's a couple of cases. I had to go down to the uh, state attorney general's office uh -huh. to uh, make uh, cash checks with, right. with, with, with my— uh, with my stage name. <laughs> don't well, tell anybody. Well, no. you're an interesting guy. So no. for the people who don't know who we're here with, he is the CEO, 
executive editor of mm -hmm. True West Magazine. You're an extremely good artist. And I looked at all your stuff yesterday, and it was very good, too. Yeah, thank and, you. And it's really wonderful. I yeah. mean, I, I, you know, I think you should be spending as much time doing that as anything else. And you can find that already, and we're going to plug it right off the bat on his website, which is bobbosbell.com, right? Yeah. Uh, it's a Bos there's, there's some problems with that. Go to uh, bobbosbell. Uh, Google Bobo's Bell and it'll art, come up. And it'll come up. I yeah. thought it was yeah. .com, but anyway, it's yeah. And uh, you're a historian as well. You know, I really can't claim that because no? uh, I'm a cartoonist who loves history. Okay. And there's a lot of people in the history business who think I'm uh, the worst thing that ever happened to history. Why is that? Well, because I'm not a footnote guy. You know, uh, I, I just yeah, want yeah. I want to know the truth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to tell you the truth as I see it, and I don't sometimes agree with. Uh, and let's say in the wider case, okay. You have the big dogs in there, the KCT Fertillers of the world, uh, the Gary Roberts, the John Bozeneckers, those, those guys. And they're, they're, they're friends of mine, and they're, they're wonderful historians. But uh, I don't subscribe to the idea that he was a very uh, decent guy. I mean, he, he, he did some things. He just happened to be in the, the last outlaw town, which mm -hmm. is L.A., and they covered up his past and uh, emphasized his... Uh, lawman activities, which he was really not a lawman that long. He was a pimp when he started out. Yeah, so, well. so I don't duck that. And so then that doesn't make me very popular in the uh, I Love Wyatt Earp Club. Yeah. Well, you know, and it seems like a lot of those, you know, long men, those lawmen from that time were kind of had dual edges. I mean, yeah, you know, Wild had, Bill yeah. Hickok. I yeah. mean, and, you know, he was probably on the better end of being a good guy. But he was. And in fact, Wild Bill Hickok's really, really, all the prototypes, think about this, all the prototypes of the movies, the, the showdown, the right. standing in the street, the gunfighter, the term, it all comes from him. Yeah. And he styled right. it. He had the big hat. He had a red sash. He had pistol butts uh, forward. He, he looks fantastic. And he's okay? really handsome. And he's really got the long hair and everything. And uh, you look at Earp, and you look at uh, Ben T uh, you know, Tillman and um, Jesse James, and all that. They look like bankers. You know, they went in for their formal portrait, and they didn't dress up like a, you know, a, a westerner. And so Wild Bill Hickox, he's the guy who set the style, way, way early. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, yeah. he died in 1876. right? Yes, he did. So, yeah, August second. Yeah. yeah. And uh, see, he knows his dates. I love this. I was happen? just in Deadwood. So. <laughs> <laughs> two aces and two black. Two Ace, black. Aces and eights. A the dead man's hand. Yeah. And uh, th that's a myth. I mean, he when oh. the guy shot him, uh, Jack McCall shot him in the yeah. back of the head right. in number 10 saloon, yeah. uh, he fell kind of sideways, and all the cards went on the floor. So somebody, A, either picked them up and ascertained that those were the four cards, right. you know, or somebody just made it up because it's very unlikely that he was holding that hand but i mean it's it's worldwide now yeah, the, no. the, the dead man's hand yeah no it's exactly and so i'm 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 just uh fascinated by how do those legends get started where do they start where do they go how do they get inverted how does a pimp become the greatest lawman right. that's ever lived i i've just absolutely and they didn't even had twitter back then so <laughs> Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Now, so you grew up in Arizona, right? You're an Arizonian? I was born in Iowa. Yeah. Okay. And my dad got a, a well, let me back up a half step. So the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Yeah. All right. Uh, my mother is from a ranching family in Kingman, Arizona. Uh, she has five, she has four sisters. There's five daughters. Okay. And uh, the U.S. Army uh, Air Corps establishes an air base in Kingman with 10,000 GIs. Oh, I okay. didn't even know this. 10,000 GIs, 500 available women. Okay, my mom is dating captains and lieutenants. She's got the pick <laughs> of the litter. 
and she marries a buck private from Thompson, Iowa. My dad was drafted off the farm, mm -hmm. and he went to Alabama, and he came into Kingman on his 21st birthday, and he's got a duffel bag over his, they dropped him off a troop train, you know, in the summer, and he's walking down the street, and he said, I will never come back to this hell hole. Uh -huh. And he's buried there. So he's lived there. <laughs> oh, my God. And you, and you did grow up there. And so my dad got a, a gig at a mobile oil gas station on the reservation, the Wallapai Reservation, Peach Springs. And so I was six months old, and I uh, got my hand in a ringer. Uh, my oh, mom, yeah. my mom said, don't. For those who are just listening, he's got a hell of a scar over yeah. his and, uh, left and a cubital area. Yeah, yeah. And uh, excellent. <laughs> and so uh, he, uh, what's that cubical area? And a cubital area. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a place where you're. Uh, Dr. Bar. Yeah. I have to think of the normal term for it. It's, yeah. it's where you're, you find your radial artery. It's in your, between your bicep and your forearm. So my uh, mother said, don't put your hand in there. The ringer was going, you know, and uh, the station was open 24 hours. And my dad would work for 12 hours and he'd go to sleep. My mom would run the, the gas station, you know, and it had a couple of rooms in the back. So they had a, a, a Wallapai woman doing the laundry. And I just couldn't. I was so curious. I just put, I had to see what that was like. And I put my hand in the ringer and it went up to my elbow and stopped there because of the elbow and then just started grinding. How so, old were you? A three. Holy crap. And so my... Uh, You're lucky you didn't lose yeah, it. Yeah, I did. Lucky I didn't lose the arm. Because you get what's called compartment syndrome when you get a crush injury like that. Yeah. And uh, it's not the ringing that kills you. It kills the limb. It's the... It's... You get this incredible inflammation and it just shuts off all the blood supply. Did they cut it there to open that up? Do you know? You probably don't even know. Well, I don't. Uh, I just know the family story that they uh, grafted skin off my rear end to yeah. put there. They That's probably all had I'm... to slice you open yeah. to, to let the blood out. So, so I was lucky to yeah. uh, live through that one. And then my dad started bouncing back and forth to Iowa. He he would go and have a, a Phillips 66 in Sway City, Iowa. And then uh, we landed for good back in Arizona and Kingman. In 1955, my dad had Al Bell's flying a right on Route 66. And that mm. was my first gig was, uh, you know, remember, remember that time of like four guys would meet every car. They had white suits on. They had their name this over their heart. This is a gas heart. station, a gas right? station. And you'd hear the, the pump bell ring. Ding, 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 yeah. ding. Right. And then out of the office would come four guys. The first guy would say, can we fill your car up with flight fuel? Because we had names for a gas. Uh. And then the second guy would wash all the windows all the way around. Okay, the wing windows, everything. Right. And the third guy would check all the tires, including the spare in the trunk, said you're going to go across the most deadly desert coming <laughs> Which is up. true, actually. Yeah, it's true. And you need to have good tires. And then the fourth guy would go under the hood and cut all the fan belts. <laughs> and I was the fifth guy. I was the fifth guy. I was the, the, I had my little league cap on. I played right field for the odd fellow Yankees. And you'd literally... And I'd say, do you have any jugs you want ice free? Yeah. And that was my job. Uh -huh. And so I worked all summer. I got tips. Um, Texans tip the best. Teachers tip the worst. That was my first lesson. Yeah. And um, I bought a book out of True West Magazine called uh, Biographical Album of a Western Gunfighter. And how was, old were you? I was, that, at that time, I was nine. Nine years and old. I, but I, I just loved the Old West. My I'd go up to my grandmother's house, and she would tell us how we were related to outlaws. And uh, my family claims, or my mother's side claims uh, relations to Bigfoot Wallace uh, John Wesley Harden mm -hmm. and uh, Blackjack Ketchum, and so I'd tell everybody. And my mom would drive my mother crazy, and she'd go, "Stop telling people we're related to outlaws," because what she heard was we're related to Charlie Manson, Boston Strangler, and Jack the Ripper. That's yeah. what she heard. Yeah, <laughs> which is kind of right. yeah, it's kind of right. Yeah, yeah but, but to a kid, of course, I loved that. And so I'd go up to her house, and she'd tell about how uh, they they had a ranch right on the Steens Pass. You know where that is on I ten going yeah, into yeah, the, uh -huh. New Mexico. 
And uh, she would tell about how outlaws would come in the middle of the night and uh, sometimes leave a better horse than the one they took. Uh-huh. And then, and uh, so one night we were watching Wyatt Earp, the TV show, and uh, she points at the TV and she says, Wyatt Earp was the biggest jerk who ever walked the West. And I'm like looking at my grandmother, who I love dearly, and I'm looking at the TV, which never lies. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, wow, where, where did that come from? Well, come to find out, uh, she was on a ranch right at the lip of uh, Sulphur Springs Valley. Well, that's where Curly Bill, that's where the, the Clantons, that's where the McClowries had ranches. Mm-hmm. And she's there 15, 20 years after the OK Corral fight and the Vendetta ride. So I thought, oh, this is intriguing. There's another side to the story. And this guy that I admire that's on the TV who uh, drinks milk and, and never swears and cleans up every cow town in the West is a jerk. Mm-hmm. And so that was really kind of the... And why was he a jerk? Why did, why did she say that? Well, the, to the... Uh, you know, you, it's funny. You go to Tombstone as a tourist, and the whole town is geared around Wyatt Earp. But if you go 10 miles out of town and go to a ranch, the Earps are the bad guys. They're the interlopers. They're the carpetbaggers. They, yeah, they were. They, 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 they shot in. down guys who were unarmed. That's the way they look at it. And so that, to me, is fascinating, that uh, you go out into Cochise County, and it's, it's the exact opposite. And how old were you when your grandmother said that? Also about nine? Yeah, about ten. Yeah. Nine, ten. You know? So you were already formulating ideas and thinking. Well, I was also buying Truist Magazine. My mom would go down and get a prescription filled at Desert Drug in yeah. downtown Kingman, and I'd go up to the front of the store and buy Truist. And, and when, when was that started? It was early, right? 1953. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Joe right. Small, 1953, yeah. Austin, Texas. And he uh, had a sporting magazine, and he noticed that every time that he'd run an Old West picture, he'd get 25 letters. And he thought, I wonder if a magazine would work on the Old West. And so he called it True West because at that time he had true confessions, true crime. Uh, true was a real, mm-hmm. you know, kind of popular appellation for publications. And it took off. He, he was selling 265,000 issues wow. uh, uh, in two months. He had a... Yeah, Miami. Yeah. And so... You're growing up in Kingman. Mm-hmm. You're nine years old. You got any other kids? You're any no, no, no. Uh, my uh, mother, uh, two children died in childbirth, and she had Rh factor. Oh, and wow. if the first child is a a male, sometimes they live. And so uh, somebody was commenting the other day about how, how in the hell did True West survive? Because we were losing thirty grand a month when we start when we bought it in 1999. Yeah. And my wife says uh, to everyone, uh, "It's no surprise to me." Invading Viking, I'm part Norwegian, I'm half Norwegian, only child. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, she was. That's a powerful. She comment. had to be extremely uh, protective of you as well. Then, oh, who's that? Uh, of you, your yeah, mother. Oh yeah, yeah. So she was very. Uh, I I came from that. Uh, I can do anything kind of thing, and, and and which is half a blessing and half a curse. You know, for example, uh, spelling bee came time for spelling bee, and I just got it in my head. I'm going to go all the way to the to the mm-hmm. national championship. Yeah. You know. Well, I couldn't get out of my row. <laughs> I, got beat. I couldn't even get out of my row to get out of my class. And the next year, I boned up, and I was so confident. And, I, and same thing, I couldn't get. Out, I couldn't even get out of my class. So that's the bad part when you have a, a really a, a positive self regard. Yeah, she yeah. Bu- she built up your self image, so you yeah. have a yeah. I think and, that's important for people to have that. Actually. You know, well, it is. It has its own uh, liabilities, but uh, it served me well. Yeah, and so what. You must have gone, or were you a little bit before Vietnam War? No, 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 I was right in the middle of that. So, right okay, so when did you graduate 
from high school? Uh, 1965. Oh, God, yeah, you yeah, were right yeah. in there. And, and so, so then what I, happened there? Well, so then I went to U of A, and uh, that was when ROTC, you know, Reserve Officer Training Corps, was mandatory at the University of Arizona, and you had to take ROTC classes. And so they would have uh, speakers come in, and they said, uh, look, dude, everybody in this classroom is going to have to go to Vietnam. Do you want to go as a private, or do you want to go as a lieutenant, second lieutenant? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I uh, volunteered for the draft in 67, and I was rejected for acne. I, I got to Phoenix and everything. I said goodbye to everybody. I was, in, I was at the uh, bus depot, went, went to, to Phoenix, right. had the physical done, and the guy calls me in, and he says, uh, you've got a really severe case of acne there. Uh, I'm going to give you a deferment. I said, I was, I was ready to go to Fort Hood. I was on my way. You yeah. know? And so uh, then they did the uh, drawing. You remember that? They did the, you mean the, the, the lottery. The lottery. Yeah. And my number was 247. And so I, yeah. uh, so I didn't have to go. But anyway, that's, that's the ugly version of the story, the acne version. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that's maybe the first time I've heard of acne being a, yeah, yeah. a lifesaver. Yeah, I don't know if it saved me. Uh, it it certainly, hum- certainly humbled me. Well, it definitely. You know? It definitely, I mean, if you go, you're going to change in some form yeah. or fashion, whether right. you, you know, get hurt or not. I mean, it's going to change you. For yeah, sure. I had friends who didn't come back, so. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I think everybody from that time frame did. Yeah. And I'm sure it affected you as well. Yeah, and, and even the uh, survivor's guilt, you know, the fact that he was there and I wasn't. Right. You know, was that you, like a best friend kind of a thing? You know, um, I had a best friend who committed suicide tangentially from that. And, uh, and I've never gotten over that. None, none of our, my friends have either. It was yeah. pretty profound. But, you know, we all have those back stories that uh, you don't want to tell until so, so some doctor coaxes out of you. <laughs> oh, I'm a doctor, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so, That's what I meant. <laughs> I know. We won't go too deep. I don't want to destroy your day for you, Mom. Oh, God. I'm going to be fine. <laughs> so you, you managed to not have to go into the military, and you go to right. the U of A, yeah. and you're getting your degree in what? Journalism? Well, so no, no. My uh, degree was in uh, art? Uh, commercial art. Okay. okay. Yeah. And uh, I was playing in a rock band to uh, uh, pay for my education, most, most of it. I mean, my dad put up a lot of money. Uh, but I was in a, a band, and we were playing on the bar at a strip club at the gates of davis Monthan. <laughs> and so I'd go to school all day, and then I'd go to a strip club. And I remember one time uh, uh, I was taking humanities, and so I'm reading Homer's The Odyssey, okay? And I'm backstage, in a, and picture the room. It's a, it's a black brick, you know, painted black with uh-huh. nude, you know, bad velvet nudes on the wall, you know uh-huh. what I mean? And Big D comes back off the, you know, guys are hooting out on the bar. Uh, they dance right on the bar. Uh-huh. And she comes back, and she goes, what are you, what are you reading, honey? And I said, uh, Oh, and I was embarrassed, you know, because it seemed kind of pompous to be right. in a strip club reading Homer's The Odyssey, <laughs> uh-huh. right? And uh-huh. so I said, that's just something for a class. And she said, no, tell me the name, honey. And I go, she comes over, you know, and she's, her name, the, the, the big double D was yeah, her. Yeah, got thing. it. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I said, well, it's Homer The Odyssey. And she says, oh, I read the classic comics of that. I always thought that was such, uh-huh. a, such a great answer. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you were playing in the band. I was, the I was a drummer. And I was a drummer in there. And then we, then I, we would do uh, sorority and fraternity gigs and... Uh, we got paid really well. We'd get like a thousand dollars a night. Wow, um, that's really well. Well, split five ways, you know. Now you went in as a commercial artist. Were you as a kid making art as well? Yes, and I, I had uh, cartoon strips and stuff in high school, and w- was on the annual uh, staff. That 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 kind of stuff. But we didn't really have a very good art program. Um, 
fact, it was awful. Uh, I imagine. You, you know, and um, the I remember sitting in the class, and I'm looking out the window, and wind blows so bad in Kingman, okay? Mm-hmm. And I was watching the wind peel the paint off of a 60 Ford Falcon, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, if I ever find out what you have to do to become an artist, and anybody asks me to come speak, I'll go. Because nobody told me, you know what I'm saying? And so uh, the one good thing that the, I got out of the art class was they did a career day at the University of Arizona in Tucson, and I came, and I fell in love, and I said, I want to go uh, you know, to the U of A, and, and which I did. And so they asked us to bring in five pieces of our art, and I had surfers on black velvet that was my, and so the teacher was very nice you know to kind of a oh this is an interesting concept yeah. here we have you know there were kids that were coming from chicago and they were doing gesture drawings and they were doing you know they, they were at the height of you know the thing and here's this kid from king but doing surfers on black velvet which i still had one of those oh that's well you should put that in, you got to put that in the magazine at least one time but did you feel as a kid that you were going to be an artist is somehow you go this is really my where i'm going I knew that I wanted to, uh, yes, I, I wanted to do some sort of art. And I, the first thing I did was cartooning. And then I uh, developed writing just to protect myself because I didn't like the, what other people wrote. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I kind of backed into writing. And in 1982, I sold uh, my character Honky Tonk Sue to Columbia Pictures uh, yeah, for 30 wow. grand. And Goldie wow. Hawn was going to uh, play Honky Tonk Sue. And Larry McMurtry wrote three scripts, okay? And so it didn't happen, and what I, the reason I came so close is the character was wonderful. It's a wild cowgirl who doesn't take any guff off men, mm-hmm. and uh, she's the queen of country swing, and she hangs out at the Heat Wave Cafe. And it was a great idea, but there was no story. So my wife says, you got to go to school. You know, she's my, my wife's a teacher, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she's like, you have no training. Why don't you go to school? I'm, uh, I don't know, you know. I'm from Gingman. And so she, she goes out to ASU and signs me up in a class in Ron Carlson. And I just discovered about a week ago, I was throwing out crap from my studio, trying to purge. Right. And I found the, the uh, notebook. And the notes were absolutely fantastic on storytelling. And so I've really been obsessed in the last, you know, 10 years of uh, really trying to find out what well, makes a story work. Because it's all storytelling. Yes. You know, no matter what, if you're doing a gallery, you really, it's a story. How did, how did you become... Uh, interested in Maynard Dixon, that's a story, and and the public needs to know that, or they're not going to come in. They're not interested. Yeah, and that was eighty two that you went back to school. Uh, eighty seven when I actually when I went I actually went and took a class, uh, an, Eng- an English class of sorts. You know, I, and I became an artist, so I wouldn't have to uh, take uh, math. You know, and I married a math teacher, so I could balance <laughs> so my checkbook. You, so you could do the math. <laughs> but something happened between when you graduated from U of A till that time frame. What were you doing after you graduated? college were you you're doing the band still for a while i was but i was unemployable and if you'll remember in the early 70s there was a recession and i came yeah. up i uh, tried to get a job here in two there were no jobs in tucson at the time in tucson uh was full of new yorkers who fled the east coast came to tucson and uh, leaving hundred thousand dollar a year jobs and took all of thirty thousand dollar jobs yeah, because they so just they, wanted to. They just wanted to be And that was like 71, 72. Yeah, 72, right in, yeah. That, in that era. And so I, there was no job, so I went to Phoenix, and I ended up at uh, New Times, a hippie rag. That's what and, I want. Oh, okay. That's and so I ended, I ended up at New Times uh, making $110 a week as the art director had a comic strip and wrote a column. 
Tell people what New Times is for those who are too young to know. Well, it's you know it's a hippie uh, communist rag where everybody's stoned every day. That's that's the public uh-huh. impression of it. And uh, I like to tell people that we were in the San Carlos Hotel in downtown Phoenix, and uh, there were bums lying outside uh, our office door, and I had to step over them to get in the office. And the bums had better taste in pants than we did. There was uh-huh. like there's like six of us, and we put to publication Didn't together. Michael Blake write for them? I, uh, Michael Blake did for a while. Uh, I, I course, remember Michael telling me that. Yeah, and uh, Mike Lacey, of course, and Jim Larkin, who are both wearing ankle bracelets, even as we speak. <laughs> uh, but that's another story. Not for cops, but for... for <laughs> yeah, yeah but for, for back page. Yeah. They, okay, but uh, at that time, uh, there were six of us, and it seems some of the things we had to do is like Civil War. You know, I was the art director, so I would take, uh, we literally would take type. You'd have to send type down to a type house at 32nd Street in Van Buren, and you'd you'd guess. You'd go, I think this headline will fit at 64-point Helvetica, <laughs> and you'd write that down, and you'd put it on an envelope outside your door, and a, a gopher would pick it up and then drive it to 32nd Street in Van Buren, and they would typeset it and then put it back in the envelope and bring it back. And then you'd pull out the type and you'd put it down and go, oh, it's too big. Huh. I got to go 54. It's sort of go back. All right. So that's how primitive it was. And you put down corrections on uh, uh, wax. We had, we had a waxer. You'd put the type through and then you'd, you'd cut it, placed it on there. So one day in July, I've got a F-154 pickup without AC. In Arizona. In Arizona. And I'm driving to the printer. With all of the flats for the the to put on the press, okay, to burn it, and I got the window down because it's so damn hot, and the type starts curling up, and I'm looking down to the seat, and it's all starting to curl. Then it starts blowing around in the cab, and I got to roll up the window because it's going. So I get to the printer, and I go inside, and I have to go. <laughs> I have to go. I think I got about eighty percent of. The uh-huh. things back where I was probably a very inaccurate issue. Uh-huh. Which one is? I think I have a bunch of. Old <laughs> oh, ones I, of I could probably show you. Uh-huh. And so, did you grow your hair out? I mean, well, I was in a rock band, yeah, and I was okay. an, and it was an underground cartoonist. Right. So, I mean, you know, I yeah. Mean, so you looked the part. I well, I tried to. I was, I was probably a weekend hippie. I was. Yeah, I, where I are those photos? Are they out there? Oh, they're out there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we, we did it. So then I got it in my head that we're going to do a uh, humor magazine. Uh huh. And so we did the Raz Review, and my uh, mm-hmm. lifelong friend, Daniel Harshberger, and I uh, thought, you know what Arizona needs is a humor magazine. And little did we realize that Arizona had a humorous daily paper called the Arizona Republic. And what were we thinking? You know, mm-hmm. And that lasted 16 years. I moved to Tucson to take care of the, uh, uh, th- this end of the business, and I lived at, uh, in a duplex across from Time Market on University, mm-hmm. and I used to go down 4th Avenue and sell. I, I sold the ads. That was my master's degree. Okay, I, I had five years in college at U of A, mm-hmm. and I really didn't learn a lot, and that says more about me than the college, but when we decided to start a magazine, now listen, I had to sell the ads. We had to shoot the, uh, the type. We had to paste it up. And my partner, Dan Harshberger, ran the press. We, we printed the thing on an A.B. Dick 360. And the name of the paper was? With a Raz Review. It was, okay. I've yeah, heard of that. Yeah, and we did. And you did it for 16 years? Si- no, no, 16 issues, oh, four okay. years, and made zero money. Yeah. And then I went to work for New Times, and then, you know, and then, and started, then how, started to and, make money. And how long were you at New Times? <laughs> Ten years. Oh, that's a long time. Yeah, that's yeah. That's about the length of the paper, wasn't it? When did it? It started in 1970 because of the uh, Vietnam War. Yeah. And uh, I I came in at about 76, 77, when the RAS started to go down. And then I worked there uh, and then got on the radio. I was, I was uh, did morning drive at KSLX in uh, 
Phoenix and Scottsdale. And you did that for a long time. I did. Yeah. I did well, here's how that story goes. Okay, so so I'm doing cartoons, uh, double trucks in the New Times. And uh, after a couple of years, I thought, you know, we could put a book out of these cartoons out. And so Jim Larkin agreed, and we printed it up. And so I'd come in every uh, Monday, and they had a PR person, and they'd, I'd say, uh, what, what's my schedule this week? And they'd say, well, you're going to be on with uh, uh, John Giese and Bill Andrus out at KDKB on Wednesday, and then you're going to, um, and on Thursday, you, you need to go and be on KSLX. And I said, what's that? I've never heard that. It's 32 radio stations in Phoenix. Okay? Yeah, that's a lot. Oh, yeah, it's, it was the highest per capita, I believe, in the country at the time. Wow. And uh, they said, well, it's the old Copa, and they just changed their calls, and they're now classic rock. They used to be top 40. And their news person just quit. Can you do the news? And I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I said, ask them if I have to do it straight. And they said, you can do whatever you want. So I went in, blew out the phones, just did everything I could, you know. I wanted the publicity for the book. Yeah. So uh, I get off the air. David K. Jones was the uh, the DJ, and uh, I get off the air, and the managing uh, uh, the program director calls me in the back. He's smoking. He's smoking. This <laughs> seems so weird now. You know, he's yeah. he's smoking in that in the office. We go back there. There's all these albums on the wall and everything, and he gets behind his desk and he goes, "Hey, man, you can you can relate, man. I want to hire you." Huh? And I go, and I was late for being a my real job. And so I had all this stuff under my arm, and I said, you're kidding me. And he goes, no, 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 man, I'm going to hire you. And I go, I said, well, I don't have a radio voice. I said, I don't know the first thing about radio. I don't even know what radio people make. And he says, shoot us a, shoot us a number. So <laughs> so I, I drive like a bat out of hell right. down, down to uh, New Times, which is in central Phoenix. And I called one of my friends, Tommy Vasquez, who's the general manager at KDKB, their arch rival. Okay, yeah. I go, hey Tommy, I just got a job offer at KSLX, and Tommy says, "Well, Bob, you know, I've always thought you had talent." And, blah, blah, blah. and I go, "Yeah, you never offered me a job, you little, you know." And, and so he says, "Okay, here's the deal, Bob. If they offer you fifteen thousand a year, they're slumming. If they offer you thirty thousand, they're it's legit." Okay, it could be just a publicity stunt. Yeah. So uh, I call back the station, and Carl Hamilton, Carl Hamilton is the uh, general manager, and he said, meet me for beers at the Safari Resort next door at 5 o'clock. So I get off. I drive back out to Scottsdale. We go over there. We're at a four-top and uh, had a great big beer in front of me. And he starts laying it on me, you know, you know, I think I think you've got the talent to be a really top-flight radio person. And I said, well, what do you want to pay me? And he said, we love you so much, we're going to pay you 15000 a year. <laughs> and I, I took a drink, and I put my drink down, and I said, no thanks. And so I got in my car, and I drove home, and I no sooner got home, and they called, and they said, all right, 30000 a year, and you can leave at 9, because wow. the time, timing yeah. was an issue. Yeah. You know? So I did that for eight years while I still worked at New Times. How old were you at that time? Oh, man. Okay, so it's, uh, I was about 35, something yeah. like that, yeah. And so you start that. You're doing new times. I'm you're, doing new times. Now you're on the radio once a every day, five days, five days and, a week. And you're doing news primarily. Or well, that was you... allegedly I was the newsman, which, which was a joke, you know. And I, I basically uh, did uh, weekend update, basically on the oh, radio, yeah. oh, very somewhere good. between weekend update and Howard Stern. It was in the, oh. he he was the top dog then. Yeah, it still is. Yeah. And did you were you enjoying that? Well, we. Uh, crazy it was a crazy time i mean we won uh we're rated by arbitron okay 
And uh, early on, we we were number one in the market. I got a check for twenty grand. I built my I built extension on my art studio. Yeah. You know, you know, uh, crazy. And then there were other times where we were uh, beat up, and uh, I, I hated these meetings. He'd be called in. He said, "You got to do the calls." You're not doing, David, you're not doing the calls enough. And the calls is, this is KDKB, and we're 506 on the big, you know, you, you know, don't you hate that? You know? And so when I went and saw uh, Private Parts with Howard Stern, right. and they, they tried that on him. Yeah, I remember he, seeing the movie. Yeah, yeah, and he goes, I'm not doing any of that. And I go, you know what? That guy deserves every $22 million he makes a year because I didn't have, I, I could not stand up to that. They, they just beat you down, you know, so yeah. that part was not fun. Yeah, and you may have had a family at that point too. Well, oh, I had I had a family, and I uh, uh, literally had to get up at four o'clock in the morning to drive into the station. We had a we were building a house out in uh, Cape Creek. Yeah, and I had to get up at four and drive down, and then I'd get off the air and then drive to my other job. And so it it was I wouldn't want to do that again. And that so you a, did it for eight eight years. Yeah, yeah. And so what made you quit? When did you go? Okay, well, in radio, at radio, yeah. uh, it's because you're fired. Okay. Yeah. Is that, that, is that it? I mean, you would have kept on going if you didn't? Well, no. Uh, I knew that I didn't want to, but here's here's the cra- and crazy radio in the 80s, okay? Get this. So uh, Copa was sold to the people who uh, changed it to KSLX, okay? And it sold for about $350,000, okay? So David and I are there, and all of a sudden we're a top five radio station, and so now it sells for $3 million, mm. okay? Now we got new owners. They're Canadians, Okay. And they don't believe in advertising. <laughs> so you're, you're, in, you're in a meeting, you know. And these guys are going, well, we don't believe in advertising. And we think, so we're not buying any billboards. We're not with any. And so I raise my hand and I go, uh, don't we make a living out of selling everything? <laughs> no, they couldn't. So, so then they sell. Okay, now it's $7 million. And then within uh, 10 months, it goes for 14 And then it goes to 30 This oh, is wow. when that when Reagan unleash that whole whole thing so you can imagine the whiplash on on management number one what that does to us uh, as as the talent in quotations sure. and so uh long story short uh my my number was up and they uh i got fired for saying besa mekulo on the air can you say this on the show yeah so what, what did you say besa mekulo i don't know what it is so. it's spanish for kiss my ass i kind of wondered if it might yeah, have been yeah yeah. <laughs> and just for that, you yeah. get fired? Well, they wanted, they were looking. They were, they were looking. looking. Well, I said worse things on the air. <laughs> I, I, you know, I pushed it. I knew that I would go out on the, uh, it was my job to go out on the limb, find out where the line was, and then tiptoe across it. Right. That's what they're paying you for. That's, really. that's what they're really paying for. Okay, so now you're without a job. You're done with New Times, too, or you still have that in your back pocket? No, so then, um, uh, what happened next? So so then I decided I was going to go into publishing full full for full time. Yeah. And you know how insane that is. That, that, I do. That's ridiculous. And um, so I got it in my head that uh, I got a call from Classic Comics. Remember them? Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. And Classic Comics was bought by another company. And they said, um, hey, uh, we got your number. Uh, there's very few guys in, in the comics business that even care about Westerns. Uh, if you were going to do a Classic Comics, what would you do? And I said, I would do Walter Noble Burns' Saga of Billy the Kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, first book of the month club book, uh, 1924, bestseller, launched all the movies. You know, there's been 65 movies on Billy the Kid. I didn't know it, but it yeah. doesn't surprise me. Yeah. And so they said, nah, we don't know if that's, you know, something like that. We don't know if we want to do biographies. That was their answer. So then I started, um, I had a lot of contacts in media, and so I sent uh, out 27 packets of um, 
Well, first of all, it's a longer story, but the, the Cliff Notes version, and I got on the cover of Arizona Highways with Billy the Kid. Wow. And so I thought, well, who's going to turn that down? I'll, there's my query letter. He put the Arizona Highways in with my cover on Billy the Kid. I want to do a colorful graphic novel-type book on Billy the Kid. Who Line up. Start giving me offers. Uh-huh. Well, I got 27 rejections, <laughs> including from my alma mater, the University of Arizona Press, which yeah. sent me the letter, and I quote, just what the world needs, another book on Billy the Kid. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so I borrowed seven grand from my father, God bless him, and uh, I published it myself. And we had an art show at Suzanne Brown's Art Gallery in, oh, on, on Main Street. I uh-huh. got that through Ed Mel. Uh-huh. And uh, the the books, a box of books arrived with the ink still wet. The press one wasn't even done. And we did the show, sold out the show, and sold out the, the book. And so you so had the, artwork of Billy the Kid? Art, all my artwork on, on, the, on the show. Now, it was, it was probably, uh, Suzanne was very, I said, I'm not going to be involved in the prices. Just, just sell what, you know. and so... <laughs> There were the, some of the uh, pictures, the frame cost me more than what she got. The, <laughs> then, then I had to split half of that with uh, her, you know uh-huh. what I mean? So, uh-huh. so I, it wasn't a moneymaker, let's put it that uh-huh. way. But I was in the water with publishing. Yes. And so that, that I've been doing it ever since, and I've got uh, a dozen books on uh, Old West. But when you did that, did you think, okay, I'm an artist or am I a publisher? Were, were you leaning one or the other way? I mean, because being in Suzanne Brown's gallery, a big deal. Ed Mel's there, Howard Post there. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, did you think, well, were you thinking this is where I'm going to go as an artist and the, if the publishing happens, great, but, or was it just Well, the there's other, an old saying, and I, I think I resemble the remark, and that is, he who sips from many cups drinks of none. Mm. And I'm over overextended, probably even right now as we're talking, I do try to do too many things. And uh, it's it's part of my uh, great, your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. Maybe mm-hmm. is the way the thing. And so uh, we've sold eighty thousand books, plus north of that, uh, more of the Billy the Kid of book? all the books okay. of all the books. So so we've done well. Well, here's you like this. So I send um, uh, Jim Earl, College Station, Texas. Uh, he does early West books, and at the time he was the kingpin of old West books, and they were all in black and white. And so I sent him the proposal, and I said, hey. Jim, I want to do a full-color, great maps, funny, half-graphic novel take on Billy the Kid. Can I sell that? Do you, well, first of all, do you want to publish it? He said, I love you, Bob. No. Uh, the reason my books are black and white is there's 5,000 history maniacs, and they, they won't pay more, and they won't buy more. Yeah. And so I set out to prove him wrong, and I did on one level because I sold out the run. Um but price point has become uh it, it's very hard to do all that all that color you know what i mean it, mm-hmm. it makes a difference in a book and uh between six dollars a book and a dollar a book and you you know what i'm talking I about do. The, the unit price is yeah. uh is critical and so what, where we end up is yeah i'm so so publisher yeah i'm a so so writer yeah i'm so so artist and he who sips from many cups. But you were trying to find your way. I, I'm, I was trying to find my way. I was trying to do something different. I uh, I love the stuff, you know, and uh, and I'm still doing it. So I, I'm still standing. And now you have a great relationship with Ed Mel. He's a you know a good friend of mine and an artist as well. How did that all develop? Because clearly he had. He's you know well we both know he's just an important guy. You know uh, one of my favorite stories. I um, uh, Ed tells the story that he uh, when he had his first kid. 
he uh, was driving down the street at two of the AM in the morning. Going, what am I going to do? It, it, it let's say it freaks you out, you know, right. as an artist, because right. as an artist, right. you, you know, you can sleep in till noon. Uh, you you get to dabble. Other people are actually digging ditches or plumbers. And as an artist, you're just going, I'm finding my muse. And so he told that story. It was great. And so uh, I was living uh, in a farmhouse at Seventh Avenue and Indian School, and uh, I was doing my artwork in the in the spare bedroom. So Kathy would come home with groceries. Well, you feel like an idiot being in the house and not getting up and going and helping her bring the groceries in. But she wouldn't call me at work and say, you know, right. you need to drive home and help me unload the car. Right. And so I told that story to Ed, and Ed said, you need to come join me in the studio. And right. so he has a studio, a famous studio, still there, 10th Street and Oak in downtown Phoenix. And so for six years, I was in a studio with Ed Mel, and that was my master thesis class, just being next to Ed. And we'd go to lunch together, and we'd be laughing and stuff like that. And I, I'm very hard to get motivated again. You know, I go back, and I've got to make a phone call. I'm looking around because I don't want to go back to work. Ed would come through the door, make a right, and start painting. And I yeah. would just go, oh, my, <laughs> to have that focus. Yeah, see? And then as opposed to me, he's not trying to be a publisher. He's not trying to be on the radio. Yeah. He's not no, trying true. to do anything. He paints landscapes and monoprints and of a type and of a style, and he doesn't deter from that, and I greatly admire that. He's my, he's who I want to be when I grow up. So, and yeah, we all do. Actually. <laughs> we all do. Yeah. <laughs> and so, when you would be in that studio, did you have your easel here and his easel there? Because it's not a very big room where he paints. Well, he's moved. Okay, the, uh, the I'm, front, talking, I'm well, talking about on the Oak Street one. No, no, no. But he he built that on yes. where he's in there now. Yes. Okay. And, and the front room yes. it was the actually the old grocery store. It's a big space. Yeah. And so even his brother Lee was in there for a while. Yeah. There, were, there were like three of us uh, for a while. Uh, and so I was down at the uh, east end, and he was at, at, by the window to, yes. get the, to get the light. Yes. And it was it was a big space. But sometimes uh, he would talk to me about my space getting a little bit cluttered because you know, <laughs> I've, I've got a lot of stuff going on at once. yeah and he's pretty meticulous and he's meticulous yeah, he's and very clean meticulous. Yeah. and uh, no he was a he's just a, a great guy and, and and to me uh if i ever produce anything it'll because uh, it's because of it yeah isn't that wonderful yeah yeah no that's I'm, I'm lucky to know it yeah we, i think we both yeah. are <laughs> yeah yeah which is how i know you actually yeah that's right it is exactly yeah. so yeah. he's the conduit we haven't got ed on but he's coming everyone we he's coming ed you're out there listening <laughs> <laughs> you're coming um so at this point you're now in the publishing business yes and where do you go from there? Well, actually, I was always in the public business. If you even go back to the Raz, because we were publishing it, yeah. we were we were collating the copies, we were putting them in boxes. I was delivering them. Mm. I was the ad salesman. And one of the big lessons I got was I would deliver the magazines, and and the managing editor, or the managing uh, store manager at Circles Records on North Central, says to me, "Hey, uh, somebody on your staff has an ass fetish." <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it, somebody did. It wasn't me. Huh? Uh, but they'd go, and that cartoon, that Doper Oper cartoon, you can you could kill that right now. And I'd say, thank you for that. Uh, you know, I drew it. And <laughs> they thought I was just a salesperson. Right, you know? right. So I got a lot of harsh uh, lessons, but I needed them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, of course. So, I, so yes, I've been doing this since 72, on and off, you know, in and out. I, 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 lo I love the process. Uh, I love the smell of ink. I like printers, you know, the the old printer guys, you know, I just, I love that whole scene. So, 
Uh, for better or worse, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm a publisher. And when did you buy the magazine, True so, West? So, uh, as I mentioned, True West is a magazine I read as a kid, and I would see it. You know, I'd be going to U of A, I'd go into Circle K, and there it was. It was still being printed on pulp paper, and it looked, and it looked bad. It looked tired. Dated. And it, and it looked yeah. like it was on its last legs. And so in 1999, two crazy friends of mine and I flew to Guthrie, Oklahoma, rented a car, mm-hmm. went to Stillwater, and paid way too much for what was essentially a uh, failing publication. And then uh, I thought, I just knew that I was going to be the hero, and I was going to save this whole publication. So I changed the paper, and, which immediately doubled the print bill. To, to like a glossy To paper. a gloss. Yeah. And uh, I started adding all of these uh, new new things that I knew had to be in there to save it. Well, I wish I had a dollar for every letter I got that said Joe Small's spinning in his grave. You ruined the magazine, you know. <laughs> and so now I'm full of self doubt, and I'm like, God. And I had and a partner who didn't want me to change it, and I had people calling me saying, Hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> and to my answer was, it's Hey, broke. oh, it's broke, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's so uh, broke that we're going broke. Yeah. And so I uh, uh, really was questioning myself and what I'd gotten myself into. And so somebody called me and said, um, would you like to interview Joe Small's wife? She's still alive, and mm. she's in a nursing home in Austin, Texas. I said, oh, God, I'd love to talk to her. So I called her, and she couldn't have been more delightful. And um, I, I said, it's an honor to continue to try to save the magazine. I said, Elizabeth, I have a question for you. This magazine used to sell 265,000 issues on the newsstand, and now it's seven. Mm. What happened? Here's her quote, and I have I printed this out, and it's on my wall. The footnote crowd took over. Mm. End of quote. Well, that meant to that was very clear to me that the uh, academics, the, the history nuts who want to argue about was Tom McClary's hat band silver or brown mm-hmm. at the OK Corral, uh, that we got out in the weeds, you know. And so I went back and looked at the early issues from 1953 and 54, and he was doing rodeo, and he was doing movie stars and stuff like that, because it's a popular history magazine, and it had been hijacked by the academics, and they were the ones who were slowly strangling the magazine. Mm. So I knew I was right, but to, you know, to turn a ship in the middle of the ocean, you know, mm-hmm. that's 100 feet long is not any easy task. And right. it, took, it took about eight years to, to even turn it. And how'd you do that? Well, uh, <laughs> uh, a guy came, uh, advice would come in from weird places. A guy comes in the office says, I love what you're doing. You're in trouble, aren't you? And I go, yeah. And he'd go, uh, don't chase ghosts. And then he'd leave. And I'd go into Carol, my business manager, and I'd say, what, is that? what does that mean? Well, what it me- means is, what I took it to mean is, you chase these magic elixirs, these formulas. Or, hey, do this. Put in a thing about how to make hats, and you'll just do great. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? Like that. Right. And it's not true. You know, yeah. and so you're so you're chasing that. You have to find your voice. Well, you have well, you have to you have to find your voice, give the audience what it wants, but yet challenge them. I always use the Beatles as the example because the Beatles were doing they they became this phenom. They were just replicating uh, American R and B and mirroring it back to us. But they got to a certain point and they said. Um, the the studio said, "Well, you you have to use this cover," and they went, "No, no, we're not going to put any we're not going to put any cover on it." Can you imagine that? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine saying yeah. that to a marketing director right. or the, the, the president of Capitol Records and go, no, it's there's a, you can't do that. There's never been done like that. No, it's just going to be white. <laughs> it, it's the white album, okay? It's a it's an iconic. 
And so you have to do, that's not easy to do. It's easy to tell that story. Yes, sure. But to do that in real life is hugely uh, problematic and it makes people angry. Well, here's, here's my, I love this line. Every great idea makes someone pucker. Yeah, that's true. It's so true. And we all want to do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. And that's, that's one of the uh, definitions of insanity. If you're doing the same thing over and it's not, nothing's improving, then that's insane. Right. So how did you do that? What were the steps and things that you did to make the magazine your own, which it is today? So uh, slowly and surely, I, I, I knew a couple things. I knew uh, I, could, I could look at the, the product because I was a fan. I can put my fan cap on and go, okay, what did I want? When I was 14 years old, what did I want to see? Well, I wanted to see outlaws. I wanted to see dead people. You're on the street. The Daltons lined up in the bank, you know. Right. Um, and, uh, so don't lose that. That's, that's our bread and butter. And I knew that photographs were important. And so Bob McCubbin was my partner who didn't want me to change the mm. magazine, by the way. Uh, but he was a charter subscriber. He, he, he was 12 years old and he wow. was at 1953 and he was yeah. a charter subscriber. Well, Bob had, he was just sold the, the biggest collection of outlaw and lawmen, uh, original photos in the world. Yeah. It was amazing. Yes. I went through Brian LaBelle's auction. Yes. Who's on this, who's done this podcast, too. And I encourage people to go listen to Brian's. Yes. Uh, and so uh, we had Bob's treasure, which was we uh, I sent my production manager to Santa Fe, New Mexico, where Bob's house was. And he scanned for 24 hours off of the original photos. Mm. Because when I was growing up, you'd see the same picture of Billy the Kid or Jesse James or Fort Sumner or Fort Bowie. And, it, and it's, it's almost like a. 10th generation Xerox, you know, that was so bad. But when you see the real photo of Charlie Beaudry with his wife, Manuela, and there's still blood on the... He had, he had it in his pocket when Pat Garrett killed him, mm-hmm. and so the blood's still on the photo? <laughs> I mean, that'll make... that To a guy like me, that just makes my hair blow back, you yeah. know? And so I knew that. I knew that if, when in doubt, run great photos, let them breathe. And so that was the first step. The second step was to get people who are smarter than I am, and I've managed to do that easily. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but yeah, I mean, no, to get, that, is, that is a very true statement. It is, yeah. I, I need people to fill in where my uh, skills are, are less. And then we have a design review every Tuesday, and we argue over covers. People have cried in that. Uh, we, we, I have a big stamp that says, So what? And there'll be a, this is a, on uh, the 20th anniversary of the Oregon Trail. And I go over there and go, boom, you know, but that's <laughs> so, so what? So what? You know, yeah. I mean, come on, you know. Uh, 50 died on the Oregon Trail, or, or the ones who survived. Okay, now, we got, now we're getting somewhere. And so that revolutionized our uh, process because now, uh, rather than me making decisions, and, and I like to brag that I've made some mistakes I love them so much I made them two or three times. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so having that uh, intelligence of the room, to have the brain trust, to have people, well, we just had, we just had a cover, and um, I lost this bet. It cost me 100 bucks. So there's a five-foot rule in publishing. Are you familiar with that? No. All right. So the theory is you're in an airport, you're going to your gate, you're I walking get, by Heads, Hudson you News, and you've got to be able you have 1.5 seconds yeah. to get their attention, all right? So that's why there's all these big faces on the, uh-huh. on, on, the, on the cover of magazines, okay? So I got, me and my art director got this crazy idea. There's this, uh, the Cold Brothers of the Grand Canyon, and they are uh, uh, called the Knuckleheads. Yeah, they were very interesting. 
fabulous. Yeah. And so they've got this great photo of the two of them. One of them's up on a cliff, and he, he's got photo. he's got a window. He's got a rope going down. Right. The other one's hanging with a yeah, camera into small. the canyon in, in the canyon, and but it's small. And so my partner uh, Ken, who is the actual publisher now, and I'm the executive editor, uh, but he said that 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 cover's going to tank. And so I got real mad, and I, I, you know, this is this people are going to see how groovy this is and everything. Well, I just paid him a hundred dollars two days ago because he was right. It, it was like twenty-two. We all took guesses at what the cover was going to do, right? And he was dead on. He was there. It was that was the wrong thing. So I'm so I'm not some Superman. I'm not some you know wise and. And how do you judge that? I mean, do you do well, it strictly off sales out of? Uh... Well, so uh, the newsstand is is a real. A Bermuda Triangle of, of business, and, and you don't even know if the rackers are putting you out. Many times they put us behind; you can't even see the, mm -hmm. the, the, the what's on the cover. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to to judge. And I kind of have to go with William Goldman, the guy who wrote Butch Casting and Sundance Kid and the Sting and everything. He said nobody knows anything. Everybody everybody says they do, but at the end of the day, we're all guessing. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? And and if you have 47 years of this, which I have. I kind of have that to lean on, but as the knucklehead cover uh, uh, proves, uh, I can still be dead wrong. But you could actually judge those numbers and go, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we, we get returns, and, and uh, every week it goes down. Yeah. And uh, so the editor guessed 10500 10, on the newsstand, and then it went down and it went down to where it was. And so clearly we're both in the business of selling Western material, Western art, Native yeah. American history, really. Yeah. Um, How's your business changing? I know my business is changing. You know, I look at the, you know, the audience and they're getting older. Well, how are you trying to reach out to those younger audience through maybe social media, YouTube? You know, how do you get how do you get those guys? Well, the category is digital. Everybody's uh, the, the world is moving digital. Right. Um, and so that's the area we have to grow in. And there's a couple of bright spots. Red Dead Redemption is a huge juggernaut uh, video game. Mm -hmm. And it's a Western, okay? And my editor's uh, kids play it uh, religiously. I want to say, well, tell me about that. What's, what's going on there? And so um, that's the area. We, digital, we're archiving our um, entire back issues uh, to be uh, digital and searchable. So can you buy them? Will you be able to buy those back issues? No, no, uh, we, own or, the, we own the issues. And yeah, but will you, as a consumer, could oh, they yeah, come yeah, in and you yeah. can go, okay, yeah, I want to see. I want all these for X amount. Well, you want to, uh, ideally what you want to do is you want to go uh, and say, uh, I want to see all the stories on Kingman, Arizona, where Kingman, Arizona, I'm from there, I want to know that. In other words, you could just search and all you, the back and issues. And you search all the back issues online. Yeah, and you pay a subscription fee. Right. And then and the is other... Is that up and working yet? No, 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 we're in the middle yeah, of that that's process. that's a really good idea. Yeah, yeah. And then the second half of that process, which I just learned last night, 12 hours ago, literally, uh, the Western Writers of America convention is in Tucson. Right. Uh, and so I was there, you were there, and I was talking to some publishers out of Vegas who are doing e-books. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of them said, that's the new gold rush. They had just been in Frankfurt. So I feel a little bit, I feel a kinship to um, the gold rush days. You're going, well, do you have... Are you brave enough to get on a ship and go around the, the, the tip of South America right. for three months to try to make your fortune in San Francisco? It's the same story. You know, I, I think it was Mark Twain said, uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Yes, that's exactly who said that. And do you, 
Is it, is it on digital now? In other words, can you get your magazine digitally? Uh, no, that's problematic. When we only go back to 2002, which we're working on, we need to get back there, and then we get, need to get back to 1953. So it's, if, it's a project. But if I go on today and go, I want to get today's copy, can I buy it digitally? You know, can I get uh, a subscription that way? You can get an online subscription, yes. Yes, so you can get it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. And do you see, are you trying to go international and capture any of that kind of? Well, all my life I've heard the Germans love uh, the, the West yeah, and, the, and, and the Brits, Carl May, exactly. And they have a, okay, they have a tombstone town or whatever. Uh, and, uh, and the Japanese, I, my, my neighbor went over to uh, do horses. Uh, they have a big Bonanza ranch there, mm -hmm. so I've heard that. But we have not realized that. I've been doing this 20 years, and, and uh, we have probably a couple dozen subscriptions from um, all those countries I just named. And so it's, it has not been a boon for us, it hasn't. It hasn't solved anything. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. There's an interest. Uh, we have a big footprint on Facebook, and I see uh, a lot of Swedes on there. A lot of uh, sometimes they'll print something and it's all. In and is that is that True West Magazine? Yeah, True West Magazine. Uh, website. And are you on Pinterest or uh, any and of these? We're just starting to uh, jump into Pinterest. Yeah. And how about Instagram? Can they find you on uh, Instagram, Instagram is, is, and is, Twitter? Uh, yes. Good. So all the major things. And tell us, do you have a YouTube channel as well? Uh, don't I don't think we have one yet. Okay, yeah. you will soon. Yeah, yeah, we will. <laughs> well, because you. you know what, it's a visual. Yeah. You know, media for yeah. sure. Yeah. I think one of the things I like about your magazines, I got to tell you, when I go, you know, of course I love history, I love all that stuff, but I again the the photos are what's gonna. That's our bread and butter. Yeah, they still yeah. draw me in. Yeah, and they tell the, they tell their own story, and you can have a long story about uh, with footnotes about how. Uh, you know, how many people were in the command of Crook's command at the Battle of Rosebud and blah, 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 and mm -hmm. who was the senior commander and who was killed with a sharp rifle and stuff. That's all the minutiae. But what sells that piece is the picture of the guys on a travel going back, and there, there you can see the weapons and you can see the thing, and you can look at that photo for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's, that's yeah. really our thing. And do you do any contemporary subject matter? Uh, we played with, uh, a, well, here's an interesting thing. Uh, I love rodeo, but we can't do modern rodeo. Now, we've done 20s rodeo, 30s rodeo, you know, classic guys coming out of a, uh, a wooden chute. Mm -hmm. But now it's all metal. Uh, they're wearing helmets. Uh, they look like NASCAR. They've got logos on their sleeve, and it just takes you out of the dream. Yeah, it takes you out yeah. of where you're. Yeah, your it core takes, it's a dream. Is, you yeah. you want to be, be in the dream. You want to see what it was like to be a cowboy, uh, and, and that just busts that bubble. Mm. And how about movies? Do you guys do much with? We have a know, big we have a big fight about that. Yeah. Uh, movies, uh, the, the biggest cover sellers of the last four years are all movies. Uh, Lonesome Dove, big seller with uh, uh, Robert Duvall on the cover. Uh, Tombstone is a huge draw for us. We have a, the Walk Down, and it shows uh, Kurt Russell and uh, Val Kilmer and Sam mm -hmm. Elliott mm -hmm. uh, walking down the street. Big, 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 big sales. But we have this argument about are we are we being untrue, are we watering down the, the history? Are we trying to come across as a nostalgia? Mm. Um, uh, the one thing that we argue about is real versus real. R-E-A-L versus R-E-E-L. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that's a huge, uh, we argue about that a lot. And what, so what's the discussion? I mean, what do you, what's the answer? Well, my, uh, it's so interesting because I come from a, basically a history background. And my partner, Ken Morisano, he comes, he was a Hollywood agent. So it's interesting that he takes the side of R E E L. No, no, no. He, the he, other way. He's arguing the other way, and I'm oh, arguing for more movies because the numbers are there. And yeah. he, he's saying you're gonna uh, your readers gonna wake up one day and go, um, 
you guys have lost it. You're not, it's not true anymore. And I say, and my answer to that is, I have not heard one comment. I've not gotten one letter from anybody who said that. And we get people come by the office every week. And so I'll, uh, uh, I'll, they'll say, hey, there's somebody from here, and they're from Canada, mm-hmm. and, they're, and they're up front, and they want to meet you. And so I'll go up front, and I'll drag them into our war room, our conference room, and I'll show them the covers. And, and I will ask them specifically, the man and the woman, you know. Usually the woman's the one who buys the subscription for the guy, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? That's true. Yeah. And I'll say, does this, th- is there too much movies? And I have not, I've gotten, not one has said, no, that's too much, you got to stop doing that. But my partner's really afraid of that and, and that's our conflict yeah well i see it's that. a good one i mean i think anybody who loves western movies is going to love your magazines it's yeah. synergenic as yeah. far as i'm concerned yeah and um i'm i see it as being you know copacetic together well that's how completely. i see it yeah you're a genius yeah, yeah. thank <laughs> you <laughs> but i do see it that way yeah because you know and i would even find it interesting to see the movie and then having something real about that you know, so you can get the backstory. It's we almost, did, we did, I mean, yeah. to me, that's a wonderful way. Yeah, the, our bestseller uh, spelling issue the last three years is uh, 23 historically accurate Westerns mm. and how they connect to history. What was the history of behind them? Mm. And so when we can do that, uh, I think we win. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Anything else you want to tell us about the magazine, where you're headed, anything you need to let people know, maybe how to get it? You know, uh, truewestmagazine.com, is you, that you can start right there. You can buy art prints. You can uh, peruse all of this stuff. I do a blog every day, which is on Tell there. Tell us about that. You know, I, um, in that writing class that I told you I took in 1987, yeah. one of the notes was, write every day without hope, without despair. Oh, yeah, that's and good. that is my mantra. And when blogs came into being about 2001, I think is when I started, that's... What I use it for is that I get up and you go, and the and the essence is you don't. I don't feel like writing. Well, then write that. Yeah. And so that's how you start, and it, it's like priming a pump. Yeah. And I do it every day. I've done it every day now since uh, that time. Since '87. Uh, no, no, uh, 2002. Oh, I so since the blog actually. Yeah, that the blog. And yes. so, what's the title of the blog? Uh, Bobo's Bell, Big Bad Book of Big Bad Diary Entries, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> B's not your favorite word. No, I no, I, I kind of live with that. So we can, if we Google that, we can find your... Oh, you can find my blog. And subscribe to your yeah. blog. And Absolutely. You, and you do it once a week? Once a day. Holy moly. I just did one here about bemoaning about coming here. Wow. I did not. Coming here about Medicine Man Galley Western But you'll be in it. You'll yeah, be in it tomorrow. Okay. In fact, I'll plug, the, plug this. Where is this going to run? Yeah, well, this run, uh, yeah, so this runs on YouTube. We have a YouTube oh, channel. Oh, I see. Okay. So it'll go out on the YouTube channel. And it won't be out for probably about six weeks or seven weeks. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of editing and stuff. Well, and there's a lot of backup. So yeah. we've done what we, we do. Well, you're prolific, sir. Yeah, we do. Yeah. You know, I've got another guy coming in after you today. Yeah. So, um, and you can get it on any of the platforms, any major platform, iTunes, yeah. Spotify. You know, you can okay. listen to it as well. And yeah. uh, it's out there. You know, I told you about that uh, humor magazine, The Raz Review. Mm-hmm. I'm doing the 17th issue. And I, uh, my wife said, this is the lamest thing you've ever done. Uh-huh. And I said, I don't care. Uh-huh. I'm just going to do it. And so I got Dan Harshberger and wonderful Russ, who we ran for governor in 1974. Uh-huh. Uh, were you here in 74? No. Okay, so we ran Russ for governor. And uh, we showed him uh, holding an enema bag down at the state capitol. We said, we know, uh-huh. he, he knows what Arizona needs. Uh-huh. And so he was going to legalize drugs and everything. And at that time, you, that equal time, you could, if you were a real candidate, 
you could you could be. So we ran him for governor. Wonderful Russ is going to be involved, and Daniel and myself, and uh, maybe one or two other people. And I'm going to put in a couple of comic strips, and we're gonna we're gonna redo it. I just thought, wouldn't it be great after 47 years to do the next issue? The next, oh, that's the next funny. issue, isn't that funny? Yeah. And the first letter is going to be. I've been missing a few issues. <laughs> <laughs> That's the title. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. been missing a few issues. Yeah. Well, Bob, you're fantastic. I hope everybody goes and gets a subscription of your magazine because it's really an important magazine for Western art. And it's just, yeah, it's a good read. It's fun. It's educational. And, uh, and then also go look at his art because I'm a fan of your art as well and appreciate you taking the time. Bob. Bose Bell. Thank, Thank you, you, Mark. Right. This has been great. I've never had a doctor do my arm. Thing. What's yeah. that called? What's that called? Yeah, the anacubital area. And a cubicle. Of course it yeah. is. <laughs> of course <laughs> it is. Bob Bose Bell. Yeah. Thank you. True right. West Magazine. Thanks.